Hello my friends, welcome back to Garda Goes Geek. On today's episode I want to discuss a fun little series, it's just wrapped its fourth season, um, well I'll just say just wrapped, it's released earlier this year, um, I caught up with it, I'm a big fan of it, and that is Star Trek Lower Decks. It's a very fun little show. Um, I've not really talked about it in great depth before, so I'm going to give you a rough guide to what the show is, and then explain like my thoughts on not just the previous seasons, but also the current season that's just finished. Stick around. So I have discussed some of Lower Decks before, but for anyone who doesn't know, Lower Decks is a new Star Trek television series that was released as part of the the recent sort of franchise revival that Star Trek seems to be having. Um, Ever since the release of uh, Star Trek Discovery, um, you know, Star Trek is sort of back in a big way. We've had Star Trek Discovery, um, the second season of that obviously led into um, Picard getting greenlit, the uh, Strange New World series, which I've discussed before already as well, and Lower Decks, and then obviously Star Trek Prodigy as well, which is uh, unfortunately kind of the the one that Paramount seems to have forgotten, seems as they've taken it off of Paramount+. Plus. Um, but it is coming to Netflix later in the year, so I'll probably be, well, very soon actually, I think it's due uh, on Christmas Day, so I will be reviewing that um you know it'll be out by the time this episode has come out but i will be reviewing it hopefully very soon into the new year or well some point in the next few months anyway um so lower decks is animated so so discovery strange new worlds and picard are all live action whereas lower decks and uh, Star Trek Prodigy are both animated. Now, Star Trek Prodigy has been very much designed for children, and so is a uh, CGI animated series with a slight stylistic thing. Uh, makes it look... It, it it really kind of evokes the sort of shows like Star, Star Wars Rebels and Star Wars The Clone Wars. It's got that very similar kind of artistic style. Um, whereas Star Trek Lower Decks... Um, <coughs> I think a lot of people were a lot more derisory to when it was first revealed because it looks like a standard adult animated show, by which I mean there does seem to be a particular animated look that a lot of uh, more adult animated shows are definitely going for. And Lower Decks isn't necessarily adult by any means, but it's clearly more targeted as a, towards adult than to, than to children. And because of that, I I think to echo that visually, its visual style matches the sort of things that you see in um, Rick and Morty, Inside Job. Um, I'm trying to think. There was a whole load of other Rick and Morty type clones that had a very similar sort of thing. Um, The Paradise PD and Brickleberry had had the similar sort of animation style as well. Um, You know, where everything's... uh, has a particular sort of look to it. You know, the characters aren't hyper-realistic, but they're quite emotive. Um, you know, it's a very distinctive visual style. But while doing that, it is still a Star Trek show. Like, this is... It, it's a different format to the other Star Trek shows. You know, it's a 
the average running time is 23 to 30 minutes. You know, all the other modern Star Trek shows, their average running time tends to be towards the 45 minutes to an hour mark, um, with the exception of Prodigy, again, which is also a cartoon. But with Prodigy, it's, it's because it's deliberately designed as a cartoon for children. This one seems to be designed as more of a, um, a kind of a reverent comedy. Now, I have seen some argument by people online, especially Star Trek fans. There's one particular Star Trek YouTuber, Steve Shives, who I'm a big fan of his work um, and his, his Trek Actually series. He is not a fan of Lower Decks because he doesn't like a lot of the comedy on it. He finds that a lot of the comedy in Lower Decks very referential to Star Trek as a whole. And he says it takes him out of the show because the characters seem more like fans of Star Trek rather than people who are in Star Trek, which is a complaint that I can see and I can emphasize with. However, to me, a lot of what they're referring to is relatively recent history from their perspective. It's a lot of stuff from the Next Generation era, but within recent history enough that it would have been talked about, you know, because... Lower Decks tends to reference some of the more odd elements of the franchise. You know, obviously it has a lot of callbacks to Star Trek, the animated series, because there are things that the original Star Trek animated series could do in its uh, and in the animated medium that they couldn't really do in live action. And uh, Lower Decks kind of calls back to a lot of that. So some of the more uh, esoteric alien races, um, things like Kukul Khan come back, you know, little cameos here and there. So lots of callbacks in that way. But in terms of like modern things that they reference, there's a lot of, you know, these are these are characters where a couple of them are kind of flaunt the rules. They're all Starfleet officers, but they're junior officers. So some of them do kind of flaunt the rules and skirt around the boundaries and get away with a, a few more things. And then it leads to them doing things like, you know, prank calling Armus. You know, Armus is the, you know, a character that, the character that killed Tasha Yar, you know, who's an alien sludge monster that from early Next Generation that Picard left on a planet to trap him. So, of course, that's one of those sort of weird stories that would get out there into the ether of Starfleet and be like, have you heard about this thing that exists on this planet and what he did and, and what Picard did about it, you know? <laughs> so... I'm willing to have... Uh, it's one of those, your mileage may vary things. For, in general, Lower Decks does make me laugh. Um, and not just because of its references. It does have a lot of references, but it's the characters in it that I like. And they make me laugh. There is some genuine comedy, I think, with the characters. So let's talk about the characters themselves. Um, as I said, it's it's... It's called Lower Decks because it focuses on junior Star Trek officers. Starfleet officers, I should say. And they're on a a ship which is almost like the equivalent of a Lower Deck ship. By which I mean that this is the, the USS Cerritos. It's a California-class ship, which is basically given Starfleet's odd jobs. You know, they are not the Enterprise. They're not an award-winning science ship like the Voyager. They're not a warship like the Defiant. They are a a run-of-the-mill, just this is a standard Federation workhorse. 
they travel around here, they fix this, they go there, they solve this, they talk to these people, but not in the same way that the Enterprise did. Like the Enterprise has a lot of, for example, first contacts. Uh, the California class and the Cerritos, Cerritos specify uh, in second contacts, by which I mean they go to a planet and check that everything's okay after the first contact has been made. They don't get to do any of the award-winning, you know, headline stuff. They just get to go and, and be, you know, part of, sort of like just give us a Starfleet presence. <laughs> And it's one of those, it's a very silly idea, um, but a lot of fun. And then obviously we focus on a lot of the junior officers in on that ship as well. But we do also focus on the command crew. And we see just kind of how, how little respect sometimes they get from other Starfleet commanders. And, you know, how that affects them. And it's in a similar, in a nice kind of counterpoint to how they treat some of the characters on the ship. So the main four characters are, and I've spoken about it briefly when I discussed these old sci those old scientists in Strange New Worlds. The four main characters are Tawny Newsom as Beckett Mariner, Jack Quaid as Brad Boimler, Noel Wells as Devana Tendi, and Eugene Cordero as Sam Rutherford. And like I said when I discussed... Um, those old scientists, I do think that all four of these actors were chosen because they could realistically play these characters in live action. I do not think that those old scientists will be the only crossover that we get into live action with these characters um, because, as well, some of the main characters from the, the, the flagship crew, I think, could also play their characters in live action fairly easily. Um, Beckett Mariner is the... Uh, she's human ensign aboard the Cerrito. She's been an ensign for a long time. She's just, just a reverent rule breaker. So every time she gets promoted, she ends up usually getting demoted again. Um, and she's she says she's very good at all things Starfleet, and it's because she's had quite a long career in Starfleet. She knows her way around things. She knows her way around all the rules. But specifically, she knows her way to, around the rules so that she can make the rules work to her advantage or so that she knows exactly how to bend them to get what she wants. Um, she's very good-natured as well. Um, she's a lot of fun, very kind, and she's kind of the, the leader of kind of this ragtag lower-decker team. Uh, Brad Boimler, uh, he is a stickler for the rules. Um, he basically wants... Wants to live the Starfleet dream, wants to become a captain one day, wants to, um, you know, wants to to be the best that he can be under Starfleet, um, but at the same time is quite inept. <laughs> um, in fact, um, Jack Quaid himself described it and said that uh, Boimler would be the sort of person who would nail the written portion of a driving test with flying colours. But then when it got time to him to actually be in the car would just be a complete and total disaster. Um, he gets very overwhelmed very quickly, loses control of the situation quite quickly, and is, is very um, sort of hyperactively scared and emotional. But also he does have a, this sort of wistful look on Starfleet. There's a couple of scenes uh, that I think I've spoken about 
before in the podcast when I was doing sort of reviews episode by episode on season two. Um, season two of Lower Decks and season two of this uh, podcast, in fact, back in late 2021, where it's like, um, you know, he he is a character who, you know, sort of thinks that Starfleet should be more than just battles and action and and you know sometimes starfleet you know sometimes the best life in star trek can be when you're having the poetry recitals and and things like that and a lot of those things that people have sort of complained about with uh, the next generation era because you know the next generation era was a lot slower in some respects than a lot of modern star trek is and a lot of the original series was you know the original series was very much an action adventure show the modern Star Trek shows are very, very action-focused, um, which is one of the reasons why I find something like Strange New Worlds a bit more refreshing, because it does give chance for some things to breathe and some things to just be funny or silly or heartwarming in their own way. Um, and it's like Lower Decks has its share of action, but it's like, yeah, sometimes... You know, Next Generation had its action, but it also had Data playing Shakespeare on the holodeck with Picard, you know, or um, characters going to poetry recitals or putting on performances or acting. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with that. There's a life on a starship beyond all the action. And occasionally, sometimes we want to see that as well. Um, and so Boyner's one of those people who kind of wants to be part of that as well. Uh, Devana Tendi, she is, Tendi is probably one of my favourite characters in this entire show. Um, she's just absolutely lovely. Uh, she is an Orion ensign. Now it's quite, Orions are the green-skinned race of like warrior, well not even warrior, they're, they're traditionally presented as slave women, but then kind of Enterprise revealed that it's like in their society the females are actually in control um, and it's all kind of a ruse. They're very crime focused as well. They've got like a big mafioso style vibe and Tendi is just this huge big fan of Starfleet. She's so happy to be on a starship. Um, she's new to the Cerritos. She basically works as the an introductory point for a lot of the early episodes. Um, and yeah, she's just so excited about everything. She works in the medical bay, but she does start training to become a science officer as well. And yeah, she's a lot of fun. But she also has this dark past that kind of gets explored because obviously she is an Orion and she is linked to a big Orion crime family. <laughs> And then finally, Sam Rutherford. Uh, Sam Rutherford is adjusting to the fact that he's recently had a cyborg eye implant. Um, and, you know, he's essentially a, a very skilled engineer, sort of the equivalent of, like, George LaForge or Scotty. Um, you know, this amazingly talented engineer. But he doesn't always necessarily solve the problem himself or as fast as the other engineers that we've seen, because he's still learning. He's not the chief engineer, he's a junior officer, but he does have quite a good insight into a lot of things. And he's very technically minded, very positive as well. He's got this this lovely positive personality, and him and Tendi have this 
beautiful relationship where they just hit it off so quickly and they're so extraordinarily comfortable with each other um but also have like no romantic inclination towards each other at all <laughs> like and i think a lot of people ship it and i'm like no i really like them being platonic isn't quite the right word but like a what they have is kind of a queer platonic relationship where it's like their relationship is definitely loving um and intimate in terms of not physically intimate but being very emotionally intimate and emotionally close um but they're not lovers they're not in love uh, they're not in a romantic love with each other the very platonic love uh and actually having a friend like that myself in real life who i have that relationship with it's lovely to see that in a show to see these two people who are just so close and it's like but at the same time they couldn't necessarily imagine themselves being lovers um you know it'd be weird it would be like dating your sister it's, ugh, it's weird um and yeah they're, they're lovely uh rutherford has kind of a mysterious past as well um because of his eye implant and a lot of that will come up as as the show goes on there's also the command crew of the cerritos there's four main characters there um the first is the captain that's carol freeman she's played by dawn lewis um she is also mariner's mother however um mariner's changed her name obviously to not get favoritism um due to the fact that uh, freeman is her mother um freeman is you know this capable starfleet captain but her ship isn't seen as very important and so she feels kind of hard done by and like wanting to prove herself was like yeah she's the captain of a starship but she's on a starship that doesn't really matter (laughs) and you know she she uh, when it initially starts as well she doesn't want mariner on the ship she kind of wants her to have to be transferred somewhere else Yeah, so Freeman's first officer is Jack Ransom. Um, Ransom is, (laughs) I mean, Mike McMahon, who's the uh, showrunner for Lower Decks, compared uh, Ransom to Riker from Next Generation. Quote, if he was on speed and had less shame. By which I mean is that Ransom is, is very confident in himself, his skills and his body. And he aggressively works out. He's a bit of a gym bro. Um, Really nice guy. Um, But yeah, he does come across as a bit of a dude bro. Um, Not necessarily a bad thing, though, because, you know, you do kind of, you know, there's a bit of a tension between him uh, quite early on, between him and Mariner, um, because obviously Mariner's a superior officer. Uh, he's Mariner's superior officer, but she has very little respect for him. Um, but I think they do reach a detente on that kind of, and you get a, a nice balance between them. The other two main members of the, the core cast are uh, Fred Tatasior as Shax. Shax is a Bajoran tactical officer, uh, old, very muscular, very scarred. He's got like a. Um, you know, a scarred eye as well. He was clearly a member of the Bajoran Resistance, as mentioned back in Deep Space Nine. Um, and he is the security chief. And he is... 
a lot of fun, like aggressively positive, <laughs> but also just aggressive at the same time as well. Um, he's very fun. I have a lot of fun with Shax. Shax has become probably the most popular member of the cast. Like there's a comic series going on at the minute from IDW where they've kind of done a whole load of new Star Trek stuff. Um, and Shax is one of the main recurring cast members in that. And it's actually set before Lower Decks. So it's Shax a bit younger. Um, and yeah, it's um, by all accounts, it's not bad. And a lot of people are really enjoying his portrayal in the comic, especially. Um, because obviously everything about Shax is just exaggerated. But not in a negative way. Like I said, it, there's this really aggressive positivity. Like he calls a lot of the people that he, um, like he calls people his bear pack, like his, his closest friends and his security officers are his bear pack. And um, as a result, he, people that he inducts from the lower deckers into the bear pack, he gets, he calls baby bear, <laughs> you know, so Rutherford and, and uh, Boimler both end up members of the bear pack at, different points and get called baby bear <laughs> and then the final um final member of the cast is um jillian vigman as ta'ana ta'ana is the doctor and she is a cation which are a cat-like race of people um so basically she's a very good doctor but quote from michael mcmahon again she's a very unpleasant cat <laughs> so yeah she's she's got a lot of cat-like traits very irritable doesn't like people meows and hisses and scratches at people um but you know and she just seems very cranky she swears a lot um they tend to bleep all the swearing in this there's a lot of there's a trend in modern star trek to have uh swearing in them like they've they've dropped a couple of um f words in swear in Star Trek recently, and a lot of people have been like, "What? How can you do that?" Um, they're swearing in this, but they censor it every time. And to be honest, I actually find censored swear words a lot funnier, so that works for me. <laughs> and yeah, most of them do come from um, Tana, where she's like, "What the beep has happened here?" You know. <laughs> so yeah, it's a lot of fun, and that's the crew of the Cerritos and. You know, everything just follows on from there. There's a the nice big supporting cast. We get to see a lot of other characters on the ship, both um, lower deckers and occasionally some of the higher officers. Like, for example, um, there's Andy Billups, who is the chief engineer. Um, he gets some quite nice development when they reveal a bit more about him. There's Steve Stevens, who is um, he's a command level officer, but I'm not sure exactly what he do does. There's Lieutenant Kayshon, who gets introduced in season two. Um, who is a member of the Children of Tama, so the uh, Tamarian race, most famously known as the race from the episode Darmok. So um, the Dar the Tam Tamarian captain was played by Paul Winfield in that episode. He's the one who did the uh, the quote Darmok Angelad at Tanagra Shaka when the walls fell, uh, which obviously, if you're a Star Trek fan, is a pretty big meme. Um, you know, if you're not, you've probably even seen it. It's it's one of the better episodes of Star Trek, one of the much more interesting, you know, strange new life kind of episodes of the next generation. 
And so he's the first Temerian in Starfleet, so he appears in the show as well. Um, and there's a few others. We get to meet some of the lower deckers, like there's an ops officer called Barnes. Um, in fact, her and Rutherford go on a date in the first episode. She's a trill. Um, there's an Andorian called Jennifer, um, who becomes a main recurring cast member later on. Um, it's just a lot of nice characters. There's even Cetacean Ops. Uh, we get to finally see what Cetacean Ops is ever since it was mentioned on like an old Starfleet technical manual um, for the Enterprise D, you know, decades ago. What, 25 years ago when that came out um, during the run of Star Trek Next Generation? So 25, 30 years ago. So yeah, there's a lot of good stuff here. So, let's discuss some of the episodes, shall we? Now, I'm not going to go into a, a great level of detail, but I am going to sort of discuss, like, season by season, um, you know, some of the better episodes, some of the better moments in the show. Um, for example, the opening episode, Second Contact, I think works really well as a pilot. Um, Second Contact is basically Tendi. um, being assigned to the Cerritos, giving a tour of the ship by uh, Boimler and Mariner. Uh, Boimler gets asked by Freeman to report any breaches of protocol that Mariner might make. Um, so on the second contact mission, like Boimler ends up catching Mariner, giving equipment to the farmers. They then get attacked by a farm animal. Um, Jack Ransom also gets uh, infected by an alien virus and ends up carrying it to the ship where he basically turns into like a rage zombie with like black slime blood everywhere um and obviously that then causes like a viral outbreak on the ship everyone kind of turns into rage monsters while that's happening rutherford's on a date with barnes and um you know he's helping her fight off the infected crew members in 10 forward or you know the cerritos is equivalent of 10 forward like this big bar um, but Rutherford basically loses interest in Barnes because she doesn't care about the ship's mechanics. It's like he's very much interested in engineering. That's his thing, and she just doesn't care. He's like, how cool is it that the ship can do this? And she's like, no, okay. <laughs> um, Boimler ends up covered in slime as a result of his adventure with Mariner, so he ends up coming back to the ship. Ta'ana's able to use the slime to create an antidote for the virus, which obviously saves the day. Um, as a result, Boimler kind of chooses not to report Mariner because it's like, well, Mariner was technically, she was going off mission, but she was actually doing it for the right reasons. You know, she was trying to help people. And so Boimler doesn't report Mariner for what she did. And that sort of annoys Freeman because Freeman was trying to get rid of Mariner. Um, but as a result of like, Boimler sticking up for her, Mariner decides to mentor Boimler, whether he wants to be mentored or not. You know, it's a really good introduction to the crew and really good introduction to the the characters. You know, you get an immediate relationship between Boimler and Mariner straight away. You establish um, the relationship between Mariner and Freeman, which then creates uh, a story arc that's going to go forward. Um we get to see that, you know, the Cerritos' missions, you know, the second contact aren't that aren't that amazing. That you know, they're nothing to write home about. 
Um, and even at the end, Rutherford and Tendy really hit it off because, you know, Rutherford's like, isn't this thing about the, the, the Cerritos cool? And Tendy's like, hell yeah, that's cool. And did you know this? You know, and they really hit it off. Um, so you end up with the, the four of them kind of in the bar and Mariner starts leading a chant of lower decks, lower decks, which becomes a, a repeated thing. And it's just, yeah, it's really fun. It's a great way of introducing the characters. Like, I think it's up there as one of my favourite pilot episodes I've seen in anything ever, because it, you know, the actual main plot of that episode is relatively forgettable. But in terms of introducing all of the characters in a very, uh, very good way, it works. It's one of the better Star Trek pilots for that in terms of every character gets introduced, gets something to do. Um, you know, Shax is helping Freeman and the others fight through the ship to deal with the rage zombies, for example, because he's the only one there I haven't mentioned. But it's like they all get something to do. They all get a moment to shine. And then obviously there's you know, a good introduction to who they all are and their character dynamics with each other. We get to see them all playing off of each other. Like, there's even scenes with Mariner and Freeman together. And then, obviously, we see scenes with Freeman and Boimler together. So we see how, how tense they are and, you know, Ransom giving Mariner orders and how she kind of chafes under that. So a lot of what the show becomes is already here in this episode. And it's like, it's not the best episode by any means, but it's a really good introduction. I should say there are only 10 episode seasons as well. Um, so they do have kind of plots that build through them, um, as most standard seasons of television do. There is some serialization, um, especially for these streaming series. But, you know, they're essentially a new episode released every week, and it's a half hour cartoon. That's a bit, it's a bit more irreverent than a lot of other shows. Uh, and not quite episodic as Star Trek used to be, but definitely an element to it. I mean, even even the way we're introduced is goes back to some of the more episodic ways of storytelling from things like The Next Generation. Like, most episodes start with a computer log, usually done by Boimler, um, where he's kind of outlining, oh, Cerritos is here doing this, um you know it's not often that one episode directly leads into another but when it does it's usually for a reason usually for a story reason so it all kind of makes sense for me it all kind of works very well um the second episode is again nothing special um boimler gets given a mission to transport a klingon general mariner basically forces herself onto the mission because her and this general are old friends um so boimler ends up as their pilot while the two of them get drunk and then the klingon goes and steals the shuttlecraft they end up sort of tracking him down on the planet they get offered assistance by ferengi um who mariner says oh no he's perfectly trustworthy and then like Boimler's like, no, he's not, he's a Ferengi, and then he pulls a knife on them. Um, Boimler kind of scares them away, and they find the Klingon, bring him back, and it turns out Mariner was basically behind everything. It was all, she like, she knew the Ferengi, is like, you just play like a real skis ball? And he's like, yeah, sure. Um, you know, the, so that was, that was daft, and 
It was quite fun. Uh, the B-plot of this episode was quite good. This is where Rutherford basically transfers from engineering to all these other divisions um, because he wants to have more time to spend with Tenby. Because he, re- you know, like I said, they've really hit it off and he wants to spend a lot of time with her. Not in, not in a romantic way, just he wants to spend time with her. He likes her. Um, so first of all, he transfers to security, which is where he becomes part of the bear pack. Um you know, he transfers to tactical, he transfers to the sciences, to medical. Um, but, you know, he decides that engineering is where he wants to be. So Tendi sort of starts spending time with him where he works when she's off shift, which I think is lovely. Like they've got a really close relationship. Um The third episode, Freeman tries to make the ship more effective, and you get a whole buffer time um, plotline. It was quite good. I quite enjoyed that one. Um, You know, they get given, like, a really strict deadline for all their tasks, and Boimler and Mariner really kind of motivate the plot on that one. Um, There's episode four is uh, a terraformer gets unleashed on the um, on the ship, um, and Freeman tries to give Mariner some of the most disliked jobs to try and get her to transfer. But Mariner's like, "No, I'm gonna I'm gonna make these fun to try and spite you." Um, so then um, Freeman promotes her, which is like the main plot of that episode. Um, so yeah, they're they're towing like a generation ship, and then the ships, the Cerritos itself starts getting terraformed like accidentally. <laughs> um, yeah. Meanwhile, as well, Tendi is working with an officer who's been practicing spirituality. So he's planning to ascend, like he's planning like a spiritual ascension, and Tendi accidentally interrupts it by being clumsy. <laughs> which is like a whole thing in itself and then that introduces the concept of like this great space koala uh which becomes a running joke this this giant cosmic koala which uh O'Connor sees while he's ascending and is apparently terrified of <laughs> that the koala is this ongoing joke in uh in lower decks which I'm sure they're building some mystery for um but it's very kind of unexplained Yeah, um, yeah. The rest of season one isn't bad. You know, it's nothing really stands out until quite later on. Um, you know, none none of it's bad, uh, but a lot of it's overall forgettable compared to what comes later. Um, you know, Boimler gets a girlfriend, but it turns out the girlfriend's only attracted to him because he's got an alien parasite. Um, which Mariner's like desperate to work out what's wrong with her. Why is she interested in Boimler? Which is like this this bad joke. But then meanwhile, it's like Rutherford and Tendi, you know, start exploring another ship because it's like this other ship called the Vancouver comes in and it's it's bigger and better stocked and much more powerful. So they both try and uh, transfer over there. <laughs> you know, 
but they get transferred there by another officer who's trying to get off of the Vancouver because he wants a more boring job because it's like, oh, the Vancouver's just a bit too intense for him. He wants to be somewhere. <laughs> a lot a lot of the season one does go like this, where it's kind of Rutherford and Tendy are doing something and Boinger and Mariner are doing something. And it's maybe not the best way to utilize your four main cast members to split them off two by two and always the same two by two. Like, I get splitting them two by two, but the fact for a lot of season one, it's always the same two by two. It's a bit unfortunate. Because generally, these the episodes shine when all four of them together. You know, that's when all four of them are, are better as well. Um, and usually, Beckett and Mariner... Uh, sorry, Boimler and Mariner are the, um, the A-plot. And Rutherford and Tendi are the B plot. Uh, episode six is one that kind of reverses that. That gives the the sort of the main plot um, is this anthropomorphic holographic Starfleet badge named Badgy that Rutherford has created as like a holographic assistant. Um, but Badgy ends up going nuts and becoming homicidal um so this is where you start to explore some of the starfleet tropes like the the you know the holograms going wrong and then the episode that follows that which is called much ado about boimler um features a transporter accident that puts boimler out of phase so he's kind of he's there he's on the ship but he's he's kind of glowy and see-through and he can walk through walls and i think for some of it he's even emitting this like quite loud piercing noise <laughs> and uh at the same time tendy's genetically engineered this really freakish dog um so both boimler and the dog end up getting transferred for medical care um to the farm on the uss osler um but the uss osler is a bit you know it's, it's basically where starfleet takes all of their science accidents <laughs> which is ridiculous um and this one's quite good because it does kind of split Tendi and Boimler off together, but they don't really do much with that because they keep Tendi with the dog most of the time, and Rutherford isn't really with uh, Mariner because Mariner has an old friend come in who's captain of her own ship now, Captain Ramsey, um, who takes temporary command because Freeman gets given this covert mission. You know, so... Yeah, and, and Ramsey really kind of favours Mariner, so Mariner has to kind of, like, pretend to be incompetent um, so that she doesn't get promoted. Because, <laughs> obviously, you know, a friend that she was at the academy with is now a captain. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. Got a like, twi nice twist at the end of that one, where it turns out that the farm is actually, like, this big luxurious medical spa planet <laughs> you know um then there's an episode where the four lower deckers are put on trial um and they're kind of they do like a clip show kind of thing where they're reciting old missions like rutherford recalls this quite high stakes mission where they stole a romulan bird of prey from a vulcan starship museum but at the same time his implant has got gaps in his memory so it's like it's it's a montage of different things and he doesn't 
know what's going on. Like, you know, one minute he's stealing the bird of the prey, next he's at a Gorn wedding, next he's getting attacked by the Gorn, and he doesn't know what's happened in the middle there. Um, Tendi's also accidentally on the mission herself um, to, you know, go to the planet Romulus to steal an unknown package. And everyone on the covert mission with her has like a square bar over their eyes in the animation to like block out who they are. <laughs> Um, and yeah, the person who's like putting them on trial is like, how do you not know what's happening on your ship? <laughs> and Boimler's like, we make mistakes all the time. Um, you know, what, what is this, this, what is this trial all about? And it turns out like that, no, the guy who's put them on trial, he's trying to find out what happened. It's not a trial. It's a party because he's the one that they freed from the Romulans as part of this covert mission. So he was just trying to find out what the heck happened. <laughs> it's yeah, that it's very, very bizarre. The best episode of season one, though, for me is um, probably episode nine, which is called Crisis Point. And this is the best for me in a very meta way because Boimler is preparing for an interview with Freeman. And so he creates a holodeck program using the crew's private logs to produce a really accurate simulation of the Cerritos and all of its officers. Um, meanwhile, Mariner, because of all of her recent behavior, gets sent to the ship's psychiatrist, who's a bird called Dr. Miglimo. And she's insisting that she's fine. Um, but obviously she's not. And to demonstrate this, she spitefully takes over uh, Boimler's program and turns it into essentially a Lower Decks movie. Like Lower Decks the movie. It's in widescreen format. It's got better animation style. And it's basically a riff on the original six Star Trek movies. <laughs> and... In it, she's cast herself as the villain. She's cast herself as the villain Vindicta. Um, and, you know, she attacks the Cerritos, destroys it, tries to kill the crew. Um, and she's roped in the others, Boimler, Rutherford and Tendi, as her, her crew, as Vindicta's crew. But Boimler and Rutherford end up joining the holographic crew to fight against her, while Tendi's kind of just disturbed by what's going on and leaves. And it's like Mariner ends up fighting like a holographic version of herself, um, realizes her true feelings about Starfleet, about her mother, and kind of treats that as her therapy. And so Boyden was like, okay, well, I might as well finish the story. And that's where he learns that Freeman is Mariner's mother because Mariner says something about it. And you know, that knowledge then causes him to panic during his interview. But the reason why this episode works for me on this this meta level is because, like I said, it's basically a parody of the first six Star Trek movies. Like, there's one moment in the episode where they're in space dock in a shuttlecraft flying to the Cerritos, all the command crew, and there's these long beauty shots with the sweeping orchestral score as they kind of fly around the ship in the shuttlecraft, and we see the Cerritos from all these different angles. And it's like, it's just 
ship porn, basically. And it's like, that stuff was in two of the original Star Trek movies. <laughs> like, that exact same sequence. Because it was in Star Trek The Motion Picture in 1979, and then Star Trek Wrath of Khan in 1982. Because a lot of people you know, didn't really see Motion Picture, and Wrath of Khan was kind of like a redo. So, yeah, it kind of redoes it. <laughs> and, yeah, that just worked for me really well. Um, and then that leads to directly into episode 10, because Boimler basically accidentally reveals to everyone um, that Mariner is Freeman's daughter, which then instantly sees her being treated different. And, you know, an exocomp comes off as comes on as a new crew member uh called peanut hamper the exocomps appeared in an episode of star trek the next generation they're like little computer robots that kind of gain self-awareness um and so they're serving as like officers now and peanut hamper and tendy sort of make friends um kind of um <laughs> and yeah they they respond to a distress signal from another ship and they find that it's been destroyed, but it's been destroyed by packleds. Now, the packleds appeared in an episode of TNG called Samaritan Snare. And the packleds are quite dumb. Like, they have much lower IQ ranges than most other, most other races that have achieved the level of technology they have. And it turns out that basically they're very cunning and they kind of trap people to get their work done for them uh, or they steal stuff and so they're not as technologically as they shouldn't be as technologically advanced as they are so they are this space going race but they shouldn't be by all accounts and it's like the episode samaritan snare they trap geordie on their ship they're quite malicious but they're not convincing villains you know because they are quite comical at the same time but there is a real conniving factor to them and this is where we kind of set up the packleds as one of the main enemy forces for lower decks or at least in the early part of lower decks and they've become a threat because starfleet has been ignoring them and so they've been attacking ships and disabling them and stealing their technology and now they've got these really powerful clump ships they're called but they're just bristling with weapons and really advanced technology so they're a real threat so you end up with this massive battle between the clump ship and the cerritos um rutherford comes up with a plan to disable the pack led ship using a computer virus that badgie has created so he he reactivates badgie so that badgie can create the virus um tendy asks peanut amper to deliver the virus and she's like nah, I'm good, and kind of, you know, leaves. She's like, yeah, I'm not doing it, and disappears. Um, so then Shax and Rutherford kind of fly a shuttle to the packled ship. Badgie uploads the virus, but also engages the clump ship self-destruct to try and kill Rutherford. So Shax ends up ripping Rutherford's cybernetics out, sends Rutherford away on the shuttle, and sacrifices himself so that Rutherford can escape. This causes Rutherford to lose like all of his long-term memory of like the past year on the Cerritos. 
doesn't affect his positivity at all or his relationship with Tendi because she's like, oh, now you can get to know me all over again, um, which is great. Um, and, you know, Badgie and Peanut Hamper are both kind of left in the, the wreck of this battle, um, you know, because Badgie's inside uh, Rutherford's cybernetics and Peanut Hamper kind of beamed herself out of the Cerritos. Um, and the Cerritos has to be saved by the USS Titan. The USS Titan is Riker's ship. It's the ship he uh, took over at the end of Star Trek Nemesis. So Riker is now in this, and, you know, they hold a funeral for Shax, uh, Freeman makes peace with Mariner, and you know, proposes that they both work together to kind of bend the regulations as needed. And Boimler, you know, due to, like, action in the battle, gets offered a promotion to the Titan, which he accepts. And Mariner is very annoyed by this. <laughs> so, yeah, the season ends with um, the Packleds possibly being this new huge threat. Uh, Boimler going off to the Titan as a lieutenant. And you know, Rutherford without his memory. It's kind of bittersweet, but it's it's very satisfying conclusion to the se season. Um, but obviously, we then got season two, like a year later. So, season two, um, you know, how do you follow season one? You just get bigger and more ridiculous, basically. And that's exactly what Lower Decks does um the first episode features ransom getting turned into a godlike being um spawning a giant head and trying to eat the cerritos like a burger <laughs> and i'm not i'm not joking i'm not exaggerating that is exactly what happened in the episode and that's also how they marketed said episode by focusing on that um because yeah they go down for a second contact and these strange energies just kind of hit ransom and give him the power of a god and it's like star trek's always had these very ridiculously powerful metaphysical beings like especially in the original series the original series seemed to have them like every three episodes there'd be some new godlike being you know there's trelane there's apollo like literally the god apollo um there's the organians there's the medusans as well i think are in there the um Oh, whatever the race is that causes the, the fight in the arena. Um, the one that has them fight uh, um, Abraham, Abraham Lincoln versus Genghis Khan or, or whatever it was. There's the... Yeah, whoever it was that puts them in the specter of the gun where they basically fire as the o fight at the OK Corral. So, yeah, basically it's a recurring trope in Star Trek, but one that does harken back to the original series much more than the modern era that you know the modern era of star trek um you know the next generation era as it's called is a bit more grounded next generation sort of started it, it's supposed to start in sort of like the late 24th century and it's been about because they run over and kind of cross over as well Next Generation sort of overlaps with the start of Deep Space Nine. 
then it finishes voyager starts immediately the star trek movies sort of run along that time frame as well the last five seasons of deep space nine overlap the first five seasons of voyager and then the final movie star trek nemesis is set in just after like the year after voyager ends and lower decks is meant to start like the year after that and then most of lower decks takes place in in that same year or a year afterwards um so lower decks is very it's very much of the next generation era in a lot of respects but it does do some more ridiculous stuff like this that calls back to the original series or specifically the animated series as well. There's a lot of callbacks to the animated series, like I said. Um, and obviously the animated series also had these these crazy, you know, space gods that would turn up and, <laughs> and have things happen. So it's nice. It feels like very classic Star Trek in that way, um, which is part of the reason why I like all of it. Um. So yeah, that's Strange Energy is the opening for the season. Boimler doesn't really appear in it. It's mainly focused on um, Mariner and Ransom for their for the A plot. The B plot is dealing with Tendi and Rutherford kind of rebuilding their relationship. He has a new cybernetic implant and obviously he's acting differently. And Tendi's kind of trying to return him to how he was um, but just scares him. And so she realized that basically she's kind of mistreating her friend and his friendship is more important than how he is. So she makes up with him, which is good. Uh, you get like one shot of Boimler in this opening and it's him on the Titan screaming and Jack Quaid does a tremendous scream as Boimler. Like it's, it's so entertaining just hearing him do this panicked scream because he doesn't get to do it a lot in the boys, but he's very, very good at it. <laughs> so seeing it in uh in lower decks and and the strange new worlds episode he was in was a lot of fun <laughs> um the second episode introduces kayshon kayshon is introduced as the new chief of security so he's essentially taking over from shacks um and then there's a new ensign introduced as well which is jet manhaver um and Manover is, you know, he kind of takes over Boimler's position and makes Mariner feel feel threatened. And Mariner and him really clash. There's like a, a real clash of personalities there because they've both got very similar kind of like A-type personalities and just they just clash straight away. And it's like they're clearing this guy's collection of stuff, like dangerous and unique artifacts, um, to catalogue them. And everything goes wrong. Um, and obviously, Freeman isn't checking in with the team because she had a report that she micromanages too much, apparently. So she's deliberately not micromanaging this mission. But it means that the away mission ends up in trouble <laughs> with no way of contacting um, the Cerritos. And they have to wait for the Cerritos to realize that they can't be contacted. But obviously, Freeman doesn't work that out. So Keishan ends up being turned into a ragdoll. Um, so Manhaver and uh, Mariner have to kind of, they both kind of clash over how they're going to solve the day, how they're going to escape. 
um, before they realise that they need to let Rutherford and Kennedy take charge because their plan is actually going to work. <laughs> Meanwhile, while all this is happening, um, Boimler is on a mission with the Cerritos and he ends up cloning himself with a transporter. He ends up accidentally cloning himself with a transporter. Now, that obviously happened to Riker in The Next Generation as well. So there's that aspect to it. Um, and, you know, this, it's this very intense away mission and Boimler gives this whole speech about how he wishes things weren't all action all the time. And so at the end of the episode, like, one of them... Like the transporter clone stays on the Titan with the name William Boimler and Brad Boimler, or Bradward Boimler, as his full name actually is, um, returns to the uh, Cerritos. But in returning to the Cerritos, uh, he's returned to the rank of Ensign. So he's not a lieutenant anymore. He's lost his promotion. Um, but he's back back with the other lower deckers, back with the main cast, where he should be, which is great. The third episode brings back, um, obviously, the past couple of episodes have, have seen the return of Jonathan Frakes as William Riker and Deanna Troy as uh, Deanna Troy, because um, obviously she married Riker in Star Trek Nemesis. Um, so obviously they're both on the Titan together. And that was pretty cool, hearing their voices again, having them interact with the cast. Um, admittedly, not much. The third episode of season two introduces another returning character, which is Robert Duncan McNeil as Tom Paris from Star Trek Voyager. And, you know, he's basically going to um, visit the Cerritos and... Uh, Boimler has this memorial plate and wants to get uh, Paris to sign it but in so doing he ends up basically putting himself into danger and um, <laughs> you know he, because he can't access Paris he basically tries to sneak through the Jeffreys tube and ends up covered in slime and filth and he gets heated up so he takes off all his clothes so then when he finally runs onto the bridge to greet Paris, Paris thinks he's a Kazon and decks him <laughs> which I think breaks the plate as well um, then there's like Tendi and Mariner get paired off in this episode as well. They have to go and retrieve an old heirloom for Ta'ana, which turns out to be a libido post after they look at it and see what's inside it. Uh, which uh, Tendi really doesn't want to do, and Mariner kind of bullies her into it. Um, and they accidentally break it. And they go on a mission to fix it where they realise they don't actually know a lot about each other and this is where you start to learn that Tendi has this kind of reputation among sort of the darker corners of the galaxy where she's known as the mistress of the winter constellations which is like her official Orion pirate title um, and she's clearly not happy about being recognised like that um, so yeah that's quite interesting Meanwhile, Rutherford ends up getting startled because Shax is just back on the Cerritos. And 
he's like, how? How how is Shaq's back? How did he survive? Um, and he gets told by the other crew members, oh, like, no, no, bridge crew members die and come back to life all the time. You know, this stuff happens. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Which I find quite funny because it's like, I can think of times that that's happened, especially in the original series and in occasional episodes of The Next Generation. But and actually, no, thinking about it, it has happened quite a lot. There's been times where it's like, oh, they're replaced by a transporter duplicate or a parallel timeline version or, or things like that. That's happened quite a few times. But there have been examples of main character bridge crew members dying. You know, admittedly, they're quite rare. But it does happen. But yeah, it's just kind of, yeah, don't worry about it. Shax is back. Um, and Rutherford kind of is like, no, I have to know why. And asks Shax how. And Shax tells him something so horrifying. We don't hear what it is. But whatever it is, is so horrifying that Rutherford is just kind of like scarred forever. <laughs> and it mentions the koala. So yeah, the koala at the bridge of life and death. <laughs> So yeah, um that's quite bizarre. <laughs> but yeah, Shax is back basically. Kayshon's still there, but Shax is back as well. It's it's more like a case of now Shax is the tactical officer and we see him more often on the bridge, but we do also see him as a security chief, whereas Kayshon is more the chief of security. Um so it's kind of a division of labor similar to how I don't know, it's not even really similar to how Worf and Yar were in Early Next Generation, because it wasn't really like that. It's more like Worf and Odo in Deep Space Nine, where Odo's the security chief, Worf is the tactical officer. So yeah, um, it's quite good. The fourth episode um, features Mugatos and... Uh, a scam and some Ferengi and all sorts of other stuff. Um, they, Boimler and Rutherford kind of are led to think that, um, they're led to think the Mariners are Section 31 spy. Um, but she has to like convince them she's not. Like, I'm not a spy. I don't know why you've heard this. Um, you know, so that there's that aspect to it as well. Meanwhile, Tendi gets given a side mission on the Cerritos where she has to track down and scan members who have been avoiding all their med regular medical checkups. And obviously hilarity ensues. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's mainly more interesting for kind of pairing Rutherford, Mariner and Boimler off together. And we get a lot of points of kind of Boimler and Rutherford really kind of interacting for the first time. Uh, similar to how we did with Mariner and Tendi in an earlier episode. Episode 5, An Embarrassment of Duplas. Um, the Dupla is a really interesting race. He's like an, um, an emissary, but when his race is kind of embarrassed, they involuntarily duplicate, which then attracts more attention to them and makes them more embarrassed. Um, so Freeman accidentally embarrasses him, and he just it, it creates this this snowball effect as just duplers are all over the ship. Um, and they eventually realise they can reverse it if they get him angry. Um, so they order the crew to insult him. 
Um, the, the, but it turns out they were escorting him to this kind of like elite party um, on Starbase 25. And Mariner also tries to sneak into the party using Boimler um, by saying, well, your transporter duplicate got invited. So you pretend to be him because he's not going because the Titan's not here and will go in. And, you know, they try it, but only Boimler gets in. And Mariner reveals, like, like just how hurt she was when he abandoned her to go work on the Titan. And so he decides to leave the party as well, because he's having no fun there without Mariner. And the two of them go into a dive bar. And, you know... They eventually find out that this dive bar, Kirk and Spock both shared a drink there because their names are carved into the bar. Um, so they carve their own names into the bar as well. Um, yeah, Rutherford and Tendi are, are bonding over a, a model ship that they're making. Um, and Rutherford saying he can't rebuild it as easily as he did before because he's lost his memories. But Tendi said, no, um, you made the model to be incomplete so that we could spend more time together. Which I think is lovely and just like a really nice touch. Um, and Freeman and all of her officers get shut out of the party as well. Um, so Freeman beams in the dupla. Um <laughs> to just overrun the party and all the crew kind of end up in the dive bar, which is, is lovely. Um, episode six, um, they end up taking in a pack led refugee because the pack leds have been growing as like a threat. Like the Titan was off fighting and dealing with the pack leds um, in episode one and two um, when we saw them. And I think in episode five as well, which is why the Titan wasn't there and why Boimler had to turn down his invitation. Um, so the crew end up taking in this pack-led refugee, but they begin to suspect that he's actually this really inept spy. Because, like I said, the pack-leds are, are quite inept. Um, so Freeman tries to keep him busy and tries to negotiate a ceasefire with the pack-led leadership, but the pack-led leadership structure is so unclear that she just ends up becoming frustrated um with the whole thing um boimler ends up joining another group called the red shirts who all have ambitions of being like high-ranking officers and captains they're really interested in his experiences on the titan they end up giving him like a makeover they get him to distance himself from mariner and uh, rutherford and tendy so that he can kind of um so that he can spend more time with them and then they can kind of talk about all their their apparent crisis leadership skills and they try and you know act stuff on the on the holodeck and stuff like that so they can be more so they can pretend to be officers essentially um but meanwhile the rest of the crew are dealing with like anomaly artifacts you know, all these weird things that the ship just has kind of picked up in its travels, and they're kind of cataloging them all, and Tendi kind of mixes with one and turns into this large scorpion, and Boimler actually makes a fool of himself to make Tendi laugh, which is what turns her back to normal. And the rest of the red shirts are like, oh, why are you embarrassing yourself like that? And kind of 
have like a real distaste for the fact that he's made a fool of himself. But he's like, no, a true captain takes action. You help your friends, you help your crew. Um, which, yeah, I love Boimler. Boimler's a great character. I think Tendi's my absolute favorite, but Boimler comes a very close second because he, he gets what Starfleet is. You know, and what the sort of things that Starfleet should be, I think. Um, episode 7 is the first one where we get like a real focus on a character outside the main cast, which is Billups, the chief engineer. Um, and basically we get introduced to a race, well, I say a race, it's a planet of humans called the Hesperians. And their queen, Queen Paolana, um, comes in and basically their entire planet is like Renfair enthusiasts. Essentially. It's Renfair the planet. Um, they're all, you know, fantasy LARPers, essentially. Um, and basically, Billups turns out to be her estranged son. And she wants Billups to come and look at her engines, or she calls it like the Dragon's Breath um, device or something like that. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, what are you... You know, Billups is, like, really wary about it because she keeps trying to bring him back to the kingdom and have him lose his virginity, which by tradition would mean that he has to become king. Um, not with her, obviously, because that would be weird. But, like, he's got a wife and a husband planned out. Like, so it's a threesome thing, which is, I think is the huge crossover that there is in America between uh, polyam and queer people and Renfair enthusiasts. Like, most poly people I know in America are really big on Ren Fairs. Ren Fairs are not really a thing over here in the UK. Um, they look like a hell of a load of fun. Like, I'd go to them. Um, but it is just basically LARPing, as far as I can tell. Uh, and there's also a huge crossover between Star Trek fans and Ren Fair enthusiasts as well. Um, so I think they knew what they were doing. <laughs> and, yeah, she's trying to to get this couple to seduce him. Um, and they all have to kind of like save him, save his virginity. Um, <laughs> you know, he believes the mother actually fakes her death in an explosion. So obviously, Billups kind of resigns himself. And he's like, oh, I have to become king and I have to have sex. I, have, I don't want to have sex, but I have to have sex so I can become king. And it turns out, like, no, it's all a ruse. And Rutherford comes to the, save him. Um, that stuff's all great um, but the rest of the episode also focuses on the introduction of Ajimus Ajimus is this malevolent AI um, who you know crash lands on a planet um, and Boimler and Mariner go to um go to kind of bring him into custody and rescue him. Um, and yeah, Adjimus is evil, like pure evil. And he's voiced by Jeffrey Coombs, who is a recurring Star Trek actor. Like Jeffrey Coombs has played, um, he played the roles of uh, Brunt and Wayoon in Deep Space Nine. He played the role of Shran in Star Trek Enterprise. He's played numerous other characters across the franchise as well. But, you know, three big long running characters. And he comes in as Ajimus, and he's a lot of fun, clearly having a whale of a time hamming it up 
because obviously for anyone who knows horror, Jeffrey Coombs was also in the Reanimator franchise, so he's having so much fun here, clearly. Um, and basically, Boimler tricks Ajibus into powering up a distress call, which is what gets them rescued and um, traps Ajibus. Then Ajibus obviously swears revenge <laughs> on Boimler. Episode 8, very good. Uh, it's called I Excretus. Um, basically, there's friction between the Lower Deckers and the senior officers because the Lower Deckers end up getting left behind on a spacewalk um, because the Cerritos has to... They're doing like a repair mission, which is also a spacewalk, and the Cerritos has to warp off to go and save the day and then comes back when they realise they've left them behind. And so a Starfleet drill instructor who's from is one of the races from the animated series that are able to split into three body parts. So there's parts of the episode where her torso, her legs, and her head are completely independent, which is really bizarre to watch. Um, and basically, she's overseen a whole load of holodeck drills for every member of the crew to understand how they work. And pretty much... They, they go through, it's kind of a clip show in the same way as uh, Veritas was, but also not, because they get put into different scenarios. And the scenarios are all kind of inspired by previous Star Trek episodes. So it's like, you're in the mirror universe on a Terran Empire ship, don't get discovered. Or the entire crew has been infected by an infection that makes them drunk and horny. Uh, and it's the naked time. And it's like, and that caused a stir on the internet, by the way, because like there's a shot. Um, on if you're watching the YouTube episode, and I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put it in the frames that I make um, of Boimler spread eagled with a, a sensor bar over his crotch. And loads of people were like, this goes against Gene Roddenberry's vision. And it's like, no, Gene Roddenberry was a horn dog. He kept writing sex into the scripts of Star Trek and having them cut out by other people. Pretty much every episode that Gene Roddenberry himself has a writing credit on has like one really horny scene and probably would have had more if he did not, if he was not the only writing credit. So just bear that in mind. Um, some Star Trek YouTubers have done some very, very good uh, episodes on that, specifically Jesse Gender. Um, her work on that for sex in Star Trek, absolutely amazing. But yeah, basically, um, everyone kind of fails all their tests except for Boimler, who is running this one simulation against the Borg over and over again, because despite the fact he's got a high mark, he wants to get a perfect score. <laughs> and so... Um, you know, the crew have to kind of... They, they kind of realise that all of this was kind of rigged for failure because Mariner and uh, Freeman kind of solve a mission together because of their disagreements. Um, and it turns out that, you know, the drill instructor, she was actually trying to keep her, her job going because it's in, in danger of She's in danger of being laid off, basically. Um, but the Cerritos is also likely to be decommissioned if she submits all their failing results. So because Boimler keeps rerunning his drill, that's buying time for the crew. So then they just manipulate everything until the instructor passes them. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's one of the better ones of the entire series. It's a lot of fun. Very silly. And just 
so many good comedy vignettes. The episode that follows that is called Wesh Douche, which is Klingon. Um, and it basically shows us lower deckers on other ships. So we see some lower deckers on a Klingon ship. We see some lower deckers on a Vulcan ship. We see some lower deckers on a, uh, a Pakled ship. And the reason we see these is because the Klingon ship is working with the Pakleds to help them, you know, this is a rogue Klingon faction, which again is another Star Trek trope. And they're working with the Pakleds by supplying them with weapons and bombs so that they can use them against Starfleet. So, and there's also a Vulcan officer called Talin on the, the Vulcan cruiser who is being criticized by her captain and her fellow crew for all of her emotional reasoning. You know, she, she uses more emotional reasoning rather than logic. Um, so she's not strictly Vulcan. And she convinces them to investigate an anomaly in the sector. The anomaly turns out to be the Pakled's testing of the bombs, which the Cerritos also detects and investigates, which then means that you have the Vulcan ship and the Cerritos teaming up against the clump ship and the Klingon ship, but then the, the lower deckers on the Klingon ship revolt and seize the captaincy, so they turn and fight um, the Pakleds as well. So, yeah. It's it's very... It's kind of cool. It does introduce the character of Talin, who goes on to become a major thing in this. But it was really nice seeing these lower deckers on other ships, and the the main Klingon lower decker, Ma'ach, comes back as well. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun, this episode, and develops the plotline with the Pakleds again. Um, and then the final episode of the season features our first, to me, one of the, the more interesting returning characters in this, because, like, Riker and Tom Paris and Deanna Troy, they're all cool. And Jeffrey Coombs is amazing. However, episode 10 brings in Sonia Gomez. Sonia Gomez is a character who appears in two episodes of The Next Generation as a lower decker. She's an ensign. She was originally created and set up to be a, a love interest for Geordi, but she only appears in two episodes. Now, that's relatively forgettable, were it not for the fact that one of the episodes she appears in is Q-Who. And in Q-Who, she spills hot chocolate over Captain Picard, which is a great first impression for the character. <laughs> and she comes in now, and she has now achieved the rank of Captain. So Q-Who is a Q episode that also introduces the Borg. It's one of the best episodes in Next Generation. And so seeing Sonia Gomez here as a Captain is like, yes, a lower decker made it. It's amazing. Um so yeah, they join up with uh, Sonia Gomez's ship, the Archimedes. Um, the Archimedes ends up getting damaged, There's, so the Cerritos has to help them. Um, meanwhile, Freeman's been offered a promotion, so if she accepts it, it will take her away from the Cerritos. Now, Mariner kind of overhears this and then starts feeling abandonment issues, because now her and her, her mother have actually kind of bonded for the first time, and... Mariner kind of leaks this with the other staff members, so then that creates bickering on the ship. Um, 
Tendi learns she's being removed from the sick base staff. Uh, Rutherford is having trouble with his cybernetic implant um, because it turns out he's been making triple backups of all of his memories of Tendi because he doesn't want to lose their friendship again, which, by the way, is so sweet. Um, but when Billups convinces him to delete the extra backups, he actually learns another, he sees another memory suggesting that his cybernetic implant wasn't his decision to have it installed like a memory of like Starfleet officer that he can't see saying that about the implant being installed so that's quite interesting um but then at the end of the episode the the bit that kind of changes everything is you know the Cerritos has saved the Archimedes saved the day um the whole crew sort of sat there with Sonia Gomez and everything like that then other Starfleet ships come in and they arrest Freeman. And they arrest Freeman because she's allegedly detonated a bomb on the Pakled home planet, which is literally just called Pakled planet. And that's your cliffhanger ending heading into season three. You know, loads of nice cliffhangers, both for character arcs and a big story arc. So lots of fun, really kind of building it up. Now, I realise I've obviously been quite spoiler-heavy for the first two seasons. I'm going to start toning back some of the spoilers now, um, because obviously, I think you get the impression that obviously I quite like this show. Um, but obviously, it does continue to develop in some quite interesting ways across season three and season four. And But I do think if anything I've said is of interest to you so far, this is the perfect place to start jumping on and, and watching it yourself. Um, because there's a lot of fun stuff here. Also, I, I forgot to mention the opening title sequence is itself almost like a parody of a traditional Star Trek title sequence. It's like they fly by an ice planet, but one of this like big icy stalactite hits the engine, and then the ship starts losing power and falling out of the air. Or they're flying away from a black hole, but then they get hit by rocks and kind of fall back into it. Um, obviously they escape again but you know they're flying through space and there's like this giant space bug sucking on the engine um, or they fly into the middle of this huge space battle which gets more and more elaborate every season like every season that title sequence of the space battle gets more and more elaborate like for the start it was just Romulans and Borg then it became Romulans, Borg, and Klingons and Pakleds. Then they added the Breen. Then they added a crystalline entity. Then they added a um, the whale probe from Star Trek Four. <laughs> it's just like how many more things can they add into that space battle? But yeah, like this huge space battle, and the Cerritos is just kind of there, and then just kind of goes nope and flies off. <laughs> you know. Um... <laughs> So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to spend too much time talking too much about too many of the bigger plot points now because it's kind of like if you're intrigued by this show in any way, I I recommend you watch it. I think you'll have fun with it. And season three and season four are. I mean, season two was already experiencing a huge step up in quality. Like by the time you get to the latter half of season two you're getting some of the best episodes in lower decks um you know wedge douche especially is is one of the best ones i excretus is really good 
um, you know, you, you're definitely getting some of the better ones from towards the end of season two. But from season three and season four, they are very, very good. And the quality is is very consistent. You know, the writers have really kind of nailed who these characters are, what they want this show to be. And it shows. And a lot of it now is just developing the things that's already there, while also giving us, you know, weird Starfleet missions. You know, we have a... But also introducing crazy new elements. Like, crazy new elements. Like, obviously, they're dealing with the... um, You know, the start of season three by dealing with the fact that Freeman's been arrested. And obviously, you know she's not going to stay arrested for long. Like, the crew are trying to figure it out. And then, like, the rest of them are all trying to figure it out as well. And it's like... That's all going on. There's an admiral involved um, called Admiral Buenamigo, and he's like, you know, trying to fight. He's clearly close to Mariner, but then he becomes like a recurring admiral character through this season, and eventually gradually morphs into kind of the, you know, the the asshole admiral trope that Starfleet uh, Star Trek has. Um, but you know, it's like they just draw in characters and concepts from throughout this universe because they're obviously clearly happy playing in this playground now so you know freeman ends up getting out of prison and the people responsible for this team that sort of helped prove her innocence include tuvok from voyager and morgan bateson uh bateson i think it was bateson and if you don't remember who bateson is he was in the star trek episode cause and effect and he's most notable for being a time displaced captain who was played by Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> That's it. That's his only claim to fame. Kelsey Grammer's on screen for like two minutes of the entire run of the episode. The episode was originally designed as a bottle show, um, but it's a time loop. So every time they shot the time loop, they shot it with a different camera setup. So what was originally meant as a bottle episode ends up becoming really expensive. <laughs> um, one of the better episodes of Next Generation. I really enjoy that one. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and there's even a cameo from Zephram Cochran, who was played by James Cromwell um, in Star Trek First Contact. And it's a hologram version of him. But, you know, it's just just all these callbacks. Like, they go to Cisco's restaurant on Earth, which is Joseph Cisco's restaurant. Um, and there's so many, like, visual cameos and stuff that really tie this into Star Trek. Like... There are episodes of this where they're in areas that will reuse decor, like lights or props or bits in the background from Star Trek episodes. And these have obviously been drawn into the episode with love by the creators. You know, a large part of this episode, Grounded, Rutherford is wearing um, a civilian outfit, but his civilian outfit looks like one of the ones that Jake Sisko would have worn in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It's ridiculous and it's so much fun. And then it just it just keeps building from there. Like there's an episode where um they're playing like this this Dungeons and Dragons type game, but it's not just Dungeons and Dragons, it's called Battleths and Binox, and it's a Klingon-based game, but it's also got like a video narration done by Martok from Deep Space Nine, who's voiced by JG Hertzler, and he's he's the 
like a video game master kind of thing. So yeah, that's there and that's ridiculous as well. Um, <laughs> you know, they end up going to um, Deep Space Nine and while on Deep Space Nine, they interact with uh, Kira Reese and Quark, who are both there as well. Um, and obviously there's, there's loads of other stuff besides just the cameos. Like, I don't want to say it becomes all cameos. It's like, no, Peanut Hunter, uh, Peanut Hamper comes back and gets like a whole episode kind of developing and rehabilitating her on this kind of rundown kind of backwards planet. Um, but then there's, there's more stuff going on there as well. That that's really interesting. Um, you know, Tendi runs into another Orion officer in Starfleet, but this Orion is, like, all about the pirate culture, and she's like, no, I'm not interested in that. Um, and then it turns out that, like, no, he grew up on Earth and learned all of it from trashy novels. <laughs> you know, like, really bad kind of, like, pulp fiction. Um, you know, they, they end up going to a spa because the engineering crew are like really overworked. So Freeman goes with them to kind of enforce that they have a good time. Um, so Rutherford and Billups and all the rest of them are there. Um, the, the lower deckers are complaining about the, the quarters because the lower deckers as well, they, they have like a bunk room in one of the corridors. So they're all bunking in the corridors. Um, so occasionally you'll see people like walking past the bunks in like a towel or something, you know. Um, there is a bit of, um, you know, the standard sort of adult gratuity that I kind of hinted at in one of my really one of my earliest episodes, in fact, um, with lower decks. It's like there's there's a tendency in lower decks for the characters to end up in their underwear, or um, you know, a bit more blood or violence than is traditional on Star Trek, and. Yeah, I, I, I get it. I wonder if it's kind of similar to how in Final Space, um, Olan Rogers said that a lot of the the comedy... Oh, Final Space is another one with the animation style that's very similar. Um, thinking about it. And how Olan Rogers said that with Final Space, especially Series 2, he was kind of forced by the network and by the production to kind of like, no, you have to put these tropes in, these jokes, these kind of things, make it a bit luder, push the boundary a bit more, make it a bit ruder, make it a bit saucier. Um, and Olan Rogers has spoken quite openly about the fact that he felt that that kind of conflicted with what he wanted the show to be. And as a result, he sees season three of Final Space as like the closest to his original vision because it doesn't have any of the stuff that he felt he was forced to put into season one and two. And so I do wonder how much of some of the the more gratuitous elements of the lower decks actually come from the writing team themselves, or are being forced on them by the studio. Because obviously Paramount is still a studio; they're still trying to make money. This is their flagship adult animation. You know, this is their well, not their flagship one. Their flagship one's South Park, but it's like um, this is something that Paramount has got in that niche to kind of challenge something like Rick and Morty you know, being this science fiction-based um, adult animated show. So I get what they're trying to do. I really do. 
Um, but yeah, there's there's some good stuff in here. There's also the introduction of a character called Petra Aberdeen. She's this um, former Starfleet officer who's become an archaeologist. Um, you know, and she forms quite a rivalry with uh, Mariner. Mariner ends up forming a relationship with Jennifer, the Andorian character, um, which is is lovely. <laughs> like it's really they, there's some quite nice moments and like Mariner's clearly out of her depth because she clearly cares about Jennifer and it's like there's an episode where it's like Jennifer invites her to a party to like meet all of her friends and it's like a slumber party type thing and Mariner's so worried that she's going to say or do the wrong thing um you know Boimler makes a resolution to become more bold in what he's trying to do and become bold Boimler um which is hilarious. <laughs> you know, the whole bold Boimler thing is absolutely hilarious. Um, and leads to some interesting things. But then, of course, there's even a second film parody episode. They do Crisis Point 2. It's called Paradoxus. And it's exactly the same stylistically as the original Crisis Point, um, where it turns out one of the characters is actually going through some some major shit and that's why like it's all a metaphor and in this case it's Boimler um because of some things that happen and that leads to again more unexpected cameos this time from George Takei as uh, Hikaru Sulu um but yeah it's, it's quite fun and then there's you know the final episodes are really interesting um you know the final episodes of the season really really interesting have some very nice twists in the tale um and some good connections to other things there's also um an episode that really kind of explores rutherford and his origins and kind of what kind of happened like what his history was what his backstory was uh, and then season four kind of elaborates on that by doing some of that with um Tendy as well, and and developing a bit more about Rutherford, um, but yeah, it's it's good. This show just keeps going. I think the Klingon episode, the Binux and Batlets one, I think I might have actually been in season four. You know, I think I might have credited that a bit too early, um, or maybe not. I am honestly not sure. I, I swear it was a season three episode, but. Looking at my notes now, I can't... Looking at the episode titles, I can't remember exactly which episode it was. Um, so, yeah, not entirely sure. Good episode, though. Very good episode. Um, but, yeah, and there's there's some exploration in this of, like, life outside of Starfleet as well. Like, or, or the expanded look at what the Federation is. Like, we see people from the Federation News Network. Like, someone comes on board ship to interview the crew and learn a bit more about them. So that was really interesting. Um, you know, got to discuss with the crew and, and learn some of their history on the Cerritos. And, you know... Freeman tries to keep Mariner away from her for fearing like what Mariner's gonna say. Um 
so that sets up some nice tension towards the end of the season as well. Um, you know, we get to see the Cerritos crew kind of interact with some other crews as well, like the crew of the Carlsbad. And we learn that the Cerritos crew have kind of got this reputation as um, as like mavericks among all these other California-class ships, you know. Um, it's like, no, they're... they're the, 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 the Cerritos crew are dangerous. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of fun stuff going on in Season 3. And like I said, a lot of it is, is callbacks and references and just exploring the sandbox of what this era of the Starfleet is like. And I really hope... Uh, like, There's been talks recently about doing a Star Trek Legacy series kind of set off the back of Star Trek Picard. And I'm going to be doing an episode on Star Trek Picard itself and kind of exploring whether that whole thing was actually... Was it worth it, really? Um, Because obviously Star Trek Picard has had quite a mixed reception among fans um, and general audiences, I think. But the idea of, of expanding on that from uh, Terry Metalis has been to do Star Trek Legacy and kind of have the the newer characters with some of those legacy characters and mix them all together. Which is a great idea. But I honestly think that a lot of that is being done a lot better here in um, Lower Decks. Because we have the new characters on the Cerritos and the Cerritos being a lower level ship is more likely to go and encounter and interact with all of these other characters. And it's like, and also it's like, how many of these actors are going to want to reprise their roles in live action? It's much easier to get a lot of these actors to come back as a voice role. And this is proven by Star Trek Online, because Star Trek Online has been going for like 10 years now, um, and has brought back a ton of Star Trek actors in voice-only roles. Um, And uh, when I say a ton, I mean loads of them. Like, Leonard Nimoy was one of the first that they brought back, but they they did a Deep Space Nine-based story expansion, and they brought back, like, ten actors. It was Jeffrey Combs, Armin Shimman, who played Quark, uh, Max Grodenchik, who played Rom, Aaron Eisenberg, and René Aubergenois, before they passed away as Nog and Odo. Uh, Nana Visitor as Kieran Arise, uh, Alexander Sidding as Julian Bashir, uh, Andrew Robinson as Garrick. Like they brought them all back, uh, along with a few others that I'm, I'm not going to mention because it's spoilers for that part of the game. But it's like they brought them all back and had them record new lines as their characters, and your character in the game could interact with their characters. Like you could be given missions by them. And that was fun. That's that's the way to do it. I think if you're going to do the legacy and nostalgia, and I think there is there is a real market for that now, and you're seeing that in a lot of places, people are going for the legacy and the nostalgia. But I think the way to do it is to... It needs to serve a purpose, or it needs to be fun. Ideally, both. Um, it can't just be nostalgia for the sake of nostalgia. And it's quite easy to have the Cerritos, because of how it works in Star Trek Lower Decks, to have the Cerritos just interact with a lot of these existing characters. 
because it's like, oh, Tom Paris is coming onto the ship to, I think, I've forgotten the reason Tom Paris was coming on for that episode, but he was just like touring the ship. Um, J.G. Hertzler as, as sorry, J.G. Hertzler, that's the actor. Martok coming in as a, a digital creation for a game rather than bringing in the actual character of Martok. Um, you know, the, the Cerritos going to Deep Space Nine to help with a mission there. And that's where it turned out that, like, oh, Shax and uh, Kira had been in the Resistance together, so they were old friends and greeted each other really warmly. And, like, Quark was involved and and things like that. Um, you know, stuff like that becomes a lot easier with these characters. So, yeah, that, that all worked for me. And then by the end of the season as well, we get a new crew member assigned, uh, who is Talyn. There's not much else cliffhangery wise Season 3 ends quite nicely. Um, but yeah, Talyn comes and joins. She's been expelled from the Vulcan uh, fleet because of her emotional instability. Although she's still like a very Vulcan Vulcan. <laughs> um, but she's been assigned to the Cerritos to join their crew. Um, and so she becomes a temporary character for Season 4. So that's quite fun as well. Right, so finally talking about season four. And again, I'm not going to go too involved with spoilers. I'm not going to discuss too much about the episode, except to say it's all really good. Like there is a lot of great stuff in season four. There's a lot of, um, like the second episode especially introduces the Moopsie, who became a bit of a sensation on Twitter. Um, Everyone loves the Moopsie. I've already seen moopsy merchandise that people have made like it's not official merchandise but it is like plushes and and things like it's a very marketable very cute thing but also um very very fun in the actual episode i don't want to spoil it um but very very fun um and again this this is also building on a lot of what was in season two yeah, season two, season three. There's like there's a lot of great um, guest actors, like from within and without the Star Trek universe. Like um, there is a group of um, Betazoids who come on in one episode, and they're all voiced by very famous actresses, like especially famous voice actresses. Like you've heard them all before. Like one of them is. Um, <sighs> The thing I've seen her in most recently was the Owl House, um, the, which I, again I haven't seen for a while, so I've forgotten the name, the main character's name. But the the uh, the witch in the Owl House, began with an E. Never mind, it will come back to me. Um, but you know, she she's one of the one of these Betazoids. There's also the return of Ajimus, the return of Peanut Hamper. Who, the return of Badgie, you know, um, they all come back this season. And in fact, there's a there's an ongoing plot and an ongoing threat throughout this season where you're like, what's going on? And for a while, I thought it was Badgie. And then we had a Badgie episode and it's like, oh, no, it's not Badgie. Badgie's not connected to what the heck. Um, so that was that was great as well. And then there were callbacks to... There, there was callbacks to the original 
episode Lower Decks from Star Trek The Next Generation, which is a season seven episode um, focusing on a a group of Lower Deckers. And there's a deliberate callback to that episode by one of the main characters of this season um, because of a connection there between the character from this season and the the character from that episode. And it formed a very emotional link that this season is one that will get emotional. You know, there are some real points of emotion in here as well. Um, You know, um, obviously there's this connection to the original Lower Decks episode, and if you've seen the Lower Decks episode, you may have an idea of what that connection might be already, Uh, but I'm not going to spoil it, um, because I think it worked in this episode, and it worked especially when the character in uh, Lower Decks spoke about the character from the Lower Decks episode. Yeah, the character in the series here spoke about the character from the episode. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of fun moments in this as well. Like, there's an episode where they go to the Ferengi homeworld, uh, Ferenginar, which has obviously appeared in Star Trek Deep Space Nine quite a lot. And just seeing Ferengi culture again is a lot of fun. And we get to see Rom and Lita um, returning from Deep Space Nine. Uh, You know, we get to see some characters from Voyager. Like, the first episode is like a big homage to all of Voyager because they've turned Voyager into a museum. (laughs) And so there's all these callbacks and references to all sorts of things from Voyager. Like, some of Voyager's most famous episodes get called back to. um, Which is so much fun um and talin is obviously involved here talin becomes a member of the main cast we get to explore some of tendy's orion history uh, we get to meet her sister her sister's voiced by ariel winter from modern family and she's playing De erica tendy um she's good she's a lot of fun in this um just the 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 sort of the family dynamic that's going on in the Tendi family. Um, and so Tendi has to kind of sort of make peace with her sister. They even bring Mark Twain in. Like, Mark Twain appeared, like Samuel Clem- Clemens himself appeared in an episode, not himself, obviously, it was an actor playing him, playing the character. Um, but, you know, Mark Twain appeared in a time travel episode from Next Generation. So it's like they bring in the concept of the Mark Twain character, <laughs> you know, here. Um, and again, they partner the characters in different ways. Like we get to see uh, Talin, Mariner and Tendi um, go off together on a mission. We get to see t- get one episode that deals quite a lot with Talin herself. Um, you know, we get... Um, Rutherford and Boimler become roommates and we learn just how much that changes their relationship because they end up getting quarters so they get their own they get their own uh relationship together because they've become roommates um so yeah it, it's a lot of fun and then there's more there's more stuff beyond the lower deckers themselves like the actual the cast of the 
Sarito. It's like Ransom really becomes uh, Mariner's mentor in this. Um, Shax and Ta'ana end up in a relationship. I think that actually started last season, but um, you know that's like an ongoing thing as well. Um, Freeman and Mariner have this have this very interesting relationship now, where they're kind of working together. Um, but also Freeman's still kind of choking herself a bit under Starfleet's, um, you know, example. Like she's, she sort of feels as there's a nice little parallel because she's as restricted by Starfleet in general as Mariner feels restricted on board the um, Cerritos. But yeah, it's just a lot of fun. And, you know, there's another clip show. Um, you know, but again, it's a clip show that's not a clip show because it's clips of things that we haven't seen before, which was like the Veritas episode. But they're not as connected as they are in the Veritas episode here. They're they're kind of more loosely connected. But again, they kind of partner some characters off in different ways. Like we get to see uh, Mariner with the Beta Shift, which we've seen a couple of times before. We get to see um, Ta'ana and Rutherford together. Um, and it's like that's quite funny <laughs> because we've we've never seen the two of them interact. That was that was a lot of funny, uh, a lot of funny, a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, the, there's an actual ongoing plot line this episode because there's a ship, this mysterious ship that is attacking and seemingly destroying other ships, and the, these ships are lost with with all hands um, and we just find like rubble from them and it's attacking Klingon ships, uh, Romulan ships Binar ships, Cardassians whatever, all these ships are being attacked around the quadrant and it becomes this big mystery for Starfleet and yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun a lot of fun they do really well here like season 4 I think is the strongest lower decks has been um like the entire season collectively is very 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 solid um the writing is just is just very good the the worst episode of the entire series of the entire season is probably um the third one but that's got um some really good stuff with boimler as well so it's not a bad episode by any means. It's got some really great interaction between Talin and Boimler. Talin isn't quite a main member of the cast. She's not in every single episode, but when she is, she usually has something to do. And yeah, she's a very good character. So I really enjoyed seeing Talin. And you know, there is a cliffhanger ending of sorts like there's something it's definitely going to impact what's going on in season five but i'm very excited for what's going to come next because what is here is so good like this is a show that has just gone from strength to strength to strength and it already started really well like season one was still pretty good it's just not up to the quality of what's come since. Because, like I said, from about half towards the latter half of season two, every episode is really solid. And 
you know, your mileage may vary on how much you enjoy Lower Decks as a comedy. Your mileage may even vary on how much you enjoy it as a Star Trek fan, depending on how um, how tight you are to the laws of canon, because there's a lot of tweaking and shifting things around and putting in silly stuff like the duplers. But what is here is generally really good, and the characters are good, the actors are good, the action itself, like it's animated, but there are action scenes in this. You know, there are space battles occasionally. There are, you know, this is more than just what it could be. It could be a really simple Star Trek cartoon. And in fact, there were some really simple kind of bad taste cartoons um, that Star Trek released recently called Very Short Treks. They're all on their YouTube channel. I did not like them at all. They all felt like they they felt like they could have been Saturday Night Live skits that just happened to take place in Star Trek. You know, like there was one where uh, the captain of the ship kept using idioms and all of the idioms caused offence to one alien race or another, who expressed some embodiment of whatever the derogatory thing was in that idiom. So it's like, um, oh, it's like, I screwed up, I'm an ass, and then there's a screw-headed officer and an ass-headed officer. Um, you know, and th that those I didn't like. Like, those were not good episodes. They were They were not good Star Trek. Lower Decks is funnier than any of those and is good Star Trek. Like This is being made by people who clearly love this franchise, whereas I didn't get that same feeling from the very short tracks. The very short tracks felt like, what the heck are we doing here? This doesn't feel like it's being written by anyone who's... Not even necessarily anyone who hasn't seen Star Trek, but anyone who doesn't really like Star Trek. Whereas this is definitely done by people who like Star Trek and it's fun. And it's it's building on stuff that exists in Star Trek. You know, like I said, this is set towards the the very far end of the next generation era of Star Trek. And as a result, it can play with some of the most famous elements of Star Trek, which are the next generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager. And it's able to play with them. And it does. And in playing with them, it pokes fun at them. But then it also plays with the rest of Star Trek as well. There's references to Enterprise. There's references to the original series. The original series movies. Like each season of Lower Decks, each poster is a parody of one of the original movie posters for Star Trek. Like the first one was the first the poster for season one was very clearly based on the motion picture. The poster for season two was Wrath of Khan. The poster for season three was Search for Spot. The poster for season four is the Voyage Home. And you know, if they keep that, we've got at least six seasons out of this if they just stick to the original movies. Ten seasons if they do the next generation ones as well. <laughs> um Possibly 13 seasons that they can use posters for um, if they do the, the, the reboot trilogy as well. So there's plenty of potential here. And 
yeah, this is being made by people who love Star Trek. Like, even the actors. Like, there's behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, Tawny Newsom, who plays Beckett, is apparently a massive Star Trek fan. Like, she knows the universe backwards. She knows all this obscure trivia. And she's clearly having a blast playing Mariner. And it's like, you know, this doesn't feel like it's... This is just another animated series. This is just a gig for them. It's like, no, these... This is being clearly being made with a love of this franchise at every level. And as a result, it works. And I think some of the more gratuitous, more egregious elements are definitely underplayed in uh, season three. Uh, season four, sorry. Season four feels the most its own thing that Lower Decks has been allowed to be. And so I'm really hoping that that continues as we go on from here. So yeah, for me, there's a, there's a there's a trope which is inspired by Star Trek as well. It's called growing the beard, and it's a reference to in Star Trek: The Next Generation how season one, which is a bit rough around the edges, um, Riker had no beard. Season two, Riker grew a beard, which he then kept for the rest of his appearances, and it's because Jonathan Frakes is not a fan of shaving, so he grows a beard. Um, the only request that the Star Trek production team had was that they wanted to sculpt it to make it a bit more nautical themed. Um, and so season two of Star Trek The Next Generation is generally considered to be when Star Trek grew the beard. And this has now become like the opposite of jumping the shark. If jumping the shark is where a show takes a turn for the worse, growing the beard is where a show takes a turn for the better and becomes the best that it can be. And Lower Decks, I think, grew the beard around about the middle of season two. That's where that's where it started. Season two is where it started showing stubble. Season four, we have now got a full like dwarven beard going on. You know, and it's only going to get better from here. I think. So, this episode got a, a bit longer than perhaps I planned. Like, originally I just wanted to mainly talk about Season 4, but I think once I started talking about Lower Decks, I kind of wanted to, like, no, let's go back and do it all, because I've not really discussed it as a thing unto itself. And, you know, I get the feeling like Strange New Worlds. Lower Decks is one I'm going to keep coming back to as we get new seasons of it, so... Yeah, I want to, you know, I've not caught up with Discovery, but I am caught up with Lower Decks, Strange New Worlds, um, and Picard, but obviously that's finished. So I want to discuss more of it. Um, you know, when we get Season 5, I'm going to be reviewing that, same way I'm probably going to review Strange New Worlds Season 3. So thank you for listening if you have um i hope you've enjoyed it i hope if you haven't seen lower decks i've maybe inspired you to see it i do think it's worth your time like i said as an animation fan maybe not so much as a star trek fan as a fan of comedy like i said your mileage may vary but i think there's more here to like than there is to dislike 
depending on how on you know comedy is a subjective thing but i think if you don't mind the sort of more constant references um you know even if you don't know all the minutiae that they reference because they reference a lot of star trek minutiae and it's like i know most of it like i can call back i can call back a lot of those episodes that they're referring to but even if you don't it just makes you feel like you're part of a larger world and that's what this show should be it feels like part of a larger world so yeah i enjoy it i have a lot of fun with lower decks and i'm very much looking forward to whatever comes next from it so yeah um I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you all have had a lovely Christmas. Uh, this episode will be out on Boxing Day. Um, so I hope you've had a good one. May you have a great new year. And look forward to more reviews and discussions and episodes from me soon. I hope you've enjoyed this. I will speak to you very soon. You take the utmost care of yourself, my friends, from your physical and mental health. Look after yourselves the best you can. And one of the best ways to look after yourself, I think, is by sitting down, watching something funny, and laughing. You know, even if you're not doing the big belly laughs, I think something like Lower Decks will at least bring a smile to your face. Take care, my friends. Until next time. Bye for now. Thank you, my friends, for once again joining me on Gardo Goes Geek. Your continued support for this podcast means the absolute world to me, and I am grateful for every single one of you who stays and listens to one of my episodes. It means the absolute world. Now, if you would like to engage more with me or the podcast, we have a Discord community, small but growing, and... And we now have commissions open on Ko-Fi. So if there's a topic you would like to see me cover, you can pay me to cover it. All funds will be used for legal purchase of the relevant items where I do not have them. Have a look on the link tree for more information. Until next time, look after yourselves.